Welcome to See Uncovered, a place where you'll find the stories of proven entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Ashley Henschel. I'm so excited to welcome Dr. Eric Mackey, Alabama State Superintendent of Education. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Glad to be a part of this. Can you give us some insight on who you are, where you're from, how you got started in education? I would love to. So um, uh, the State Superintendent of Education here in Alabama, I'm a native Alabamian. I've been in this role for just uh, a little under four, four years. In fact, in about three more weeks, it'll be a full four years. I'm a lifelong educator, so I, I went to college uh, to study education. I majored in um, education with an emphasis in, or a major in general science with an emphasis in physics, and I taught physics and chemistry uh, for a few years. I taught middle school for a while, and then I ended up becoming um, an assistant principal um, at, a, at a, what we call a K-12 school. There are K-12 schools all across the country, but that means you've got a unit school from kindergarten through 12th grade. So in that setting, I got to meet a lot of young students and just fell in love with elementary school, went to become an elementary school principal and then a superintendent and, uh, and worked for a while. In between that job and, and being state superintendent, I was executive director of our professional association for superintendents in the state, which was really good. It gave me kind of a, a, a bird's eye view of all the state and the many um, you know, varieties of districts and, and things that were going on across the state. So that's a little bit about me. Um, I am a native Alabamian. I, I love being in education. Um, I still consider myself a teacher at heart, even though I haven't been in the classroom now in over 20 years, but, uh, but it's still every day is about teaching to me. What would you say sparked your knowledge and earning to be an educator? I can remember even in High school, uh, I had planned to be to be a high school science teacher uh, when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I can't say exactly why. Um, <laughs> I loved school. I'm one of those uh, one of those people who just loved school. I loved being in school. Uh, was always kind of working with my teachers, helping teachers, staying after school, doing extra things at school, and really valued education. I'm a first-generation college student, so it, it was not the norm in my family to, to go to college, uh, but my parents were certainly very supportive when I made that choice and, and wanted to become a teacher. But I do remember people in high school when I would say, I'm going to be a teacher, saying, why would you want to be a teacher? You know, it was not the most popular thing to, to do, I guess. But I really have always been drawn to it, and I can say I have never regretted uh, becoming a teacher and, and going into education. What are the responsibilities of a superintendent? Well, for state superintendent, they are certainly wide. Um, In in many ways, it's like being a local superintendent. So let me quickly touch on that. So superintendent, obviously, is if a school district's in charge of uh, budgeting, policies, procedures. Um, Community relations is a really big piece of being a local superintendent. So you're working with a mayor and a town council, obviously with the school board, your county commission, your other elected officials. Um, community groups, whether they're faith-based groups or volunteer groups, like a retired senior volunteers we had coming in and out of our schools working. So you're always building relationships. And I think that's the most important 
key uh, skill that a superintendent has to have. Is you, you have to be really good at building and maintaining relationships. But the superintendent obviously is also overseeing the budget, uh, the day-to-day -day maintenance of the building and facilities and school buses. Uh, the the um, academics is, is certainly the key thing. Um, and the, the other than building those relationships, mm -hmm. the second most important thing I would say is hiring really good people to do those things because no one person can do all of those things. So being state superintendent is that on steroids. Uh, we're, we're overseeing uh, lots of schools. So we're constantly being pulled into uh, school, school bus issues, school building issues. Uh, but we try to really focus as much as possible on the academic support that schools need, especially our schools uh, that are struggling, principals who are struggling, uh, those schools that find it very hard to hire staff for teachers. We wanna do what we can to support them and help them get to the point they can hire better staff, more staff, they can um, choose the right curriculum, those sort of things. So we have, it again, it's about hiring good people, have a, a team of good people who go out and do that kind of work in the field and relationships. In this case, having to maintain relationships with people from uh, our representatives in Washington, our senators and house members, to the state house here, the governor's office, all of our elected officials across the state, but also local elected officials. You, you mm -hmm. might be surprised how much time I spend talking to small town mayors and big town mayors and uh, local county commissioners, other people who are interested in, um, in what's going on in their schools. I always tell people that people ask me, well, why is it that school, K-12 schools, seem to be always in the news and, and there's just so much more uh, going on around K-12 than say the universities, mm -hmm. which are also a huge part of our economy and, and education system. And I said, well, everybody's concerned about those young children and they're concerned about where their money goes. Mm -hmm. And in most communities, um, more tax dollars go into schools than any other community service and all of the children are going to the school. So that means that everybody in the community feels like they have a vested interest in our K-12 schools. They don't necessarily always feel that connection to a big university um, or to a publicly funded hospital uh, or other, other kinds of state agencies, but everybody feels a connection to schools. The superintendent's jobs to make sure those relationships are maintained. What have you evaluated as strengths and weaknesses of Alabama's education system so far? Well, we certainly have uh, academic challenges and, and we've worked through those in Alabama for years. We have some outstanding schools doing amazing work. Uh, we have some schools that are challenged. What we've, we know from looking at the numbers is plain and simple that communities where there are um, lar a large concentration, where there is a large concentration of poverty or there's a large concentration of, of families in poverty, those schools struggle. Now, it's not necessarily how much money. Some people say, well, uh, throwing money at the school won't solve the problem. Well, that's, that's somewhat true because mm -hmm. we have found, um, and statistically it's proven out in Alabama and across the country, that the amount of money spent in the school is not always correlated with student performance. Mm -hmm. But if you, you unpeel that onion and you go in a layer deeper, what you do find is that the more poverty there is in the community, the lower performance tends to be. And so what we know is those families in poverty many times cannot provide the same um, at-home resources and support, the same kinds of trips and, and experiences uh, that maybe middle-class families are providing for their children. They don't know 
uh, or have the same skills and opportunities to work with their children on homework and reading and those kind of things. So what we have to do as a state is bolster those pieces. We have to find ways to support and help families to support their children. And that's, that's been our biggest challenge, um, not just during my time, but that's been our biggest, biggest challenge for years. We have a lot of poverty in the state and it's very concentrated in certain communities. Uh, and a lot of the state is rural. So not only is there, there poverty, but there's, there are not a lot of services. So that's been our biggest challenge is how do we help surround families with the kinds of supports they need so that when their children go to school, they'll be successful. Um, we know that, and we're working really hard on that. Um, some of our, our successes, we've done a really good job of graduating students and graduating them college and career ready. So one of the things I'm most proud of is we have over 90% of our students who graduate from high school, and we're also number seven in the nation uh, with over 80% of our um, high school seniors finishing high school, not just with a diploma, but with a college and career ready credential, whether that's a qualifying score on the, the ACT uh, or it's a, a credential that they may get in a career tech program. Um, and there are a few others, a few other ways they can demonstrate that. But we really feel good about that. It says that even though there are a lot of challenges in the state, we are getting uh, our students, almost all of them across the finish line. And when they finish, they're ready for the next step in life. Now, obviously that's still a challenge. We don't, you don't want to leave anybody uh, behind. And so if 10% of our students are not finishing high school, uh, that's a relatively low number, but obviously we want to find a way to touch those 10% mm -hmm. to make sure that every student has an opportunity to, to graduate and moreover to graduate ready for life. What are your hopes to see for Alabama's education in years to come? We're, we're investing heavily in coaching in Alabama. Um, I, I believe deeply in the coaching model Mm -hmm. uh, some people say, well, teachers should come out of college um, capable of te teaching, and so you, they, they shouldn't need additional professional development or coaching. Well, I counter that. Um, if, if that were true, then when a five-star quarterback got recruited out of high school to go to college or out of college to go to the NFL, then they wouldn't need coaches anymore. You know, they could just they, – you, you've got an NFL team that has all these big recruits. Why do they have a, a team of coaches also on the sideline? Well, it's because we know that coaching works, that even those who are talented, who have great skill, who have demonstrated their ability, they still need coaching. It's no different in the teaching profession. Even great teachers need coaching. All teachers need coaching. And so we've, we've invested heavily in that. And, and really my hope for the next few years is that we would see the coaching model uh, and the coaches we've invested in, in both reading, we have reading coaches now in all of our K-3 schools and math, we'll be working toward over the next six years, getting math coaches in all of our K-5 schools starting. Um, we've, we've rolled a few out in a pilot program. We'll be rolling more of those out this fall. But, but that's my really, my hope and dream is we can get a high quality reading and math coach in every elementary school and that our teachers would be receptive to coaching because teachers need to understand it is not a bad thing to have a coach. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, again, if, if an NFL quarterback can have a quarterback's coach, then surely a reading teacher um, should also be, you know, feel really good about a reading coach coming into his or her room to say, Hey, let me help you with this or that project. And let's look at your students' data and let's, 
Let's see what else we can do for some of these students who are behind. Coaching matters. Coaching is where we're investing a lot of dollars, time, and resources. And, and I really do believe it will be the, the pivot that kind of turns our state uh, academically over the next few years. Do these coaches come into the classroom or is this an after-school activity? They are, they're there all during the day. So they come in and out of the classroom. Uh, they can, um, in many cases, not just can, but they model lessons mm -hmm. for teachers. So if a teacher's maybe having a particularly hard uh, time, say, uh, discussing fractions with third graders, then the coach can come in and model teaching a lesson on that. They can also um, help that teacher. Now, they're not gonna come into the room and critique the teacher on the spot, but they can come in, watch a teacher teach, and then talk with them afterward about, well, this is another way you could have presented. This is, these are some things you could have done differently. A big part of the coaching model is helping teachers to um, analyze their own data. So mm -hmm. look at student data from all the, the summative and, and informal formative assessments we do. And let's look at Johnny and Susie and Eric and Jane and see where they are. What does their progress look like? What do these data tell us about the student and how can we adjust our instruction or provide additional instruction for students? Um, so, so coaches help with all of those things. They're in the classroom. They're also working in that, that data room with the teacher during, during his or her planning period or after school. Um, and to some degree, teachers, coaches are gonna be working individually with students. We try very hard um, because the national coaching models have taught us that, that the best coaches are not spending a lot of time directly with students. They're spending time with teachers, helping teachers hone their skills for working with students. Mm -hmm. So we don't want that coach to be just bogged down in, um, you know, always doing student intervention, but certainly coaches can also work with students from time to time. They need to be working directly with students. In your opinion, how important is financial literacy being taught for students? Financial literacy is extremely important. And we, we're really proud um, that a, reach, a recent national financial literacy report ranked Alabama in the top four in the country for financial literacy requirements. So we require uh, that every student who graduates from high school has to have um, instruction in financial literacy. We do that through a course we call career prep. We have a career prep program every student has to take, and it's split into A and B blocks. So basically first and second semester. Career prep B is where we have required financial literacy, um, things like interest and loans, how to manage money, all of that's in there. But I would say that one semester course throughout a child's career in school is not enough. So we have to also be thinking about ways we introduce financial literacy in the early grades, you know, kindergarten through sixth grade, um, and we have to think about uh, programs like high school economics because we require economics for every senior to graduate. And so they, they need to be able to make those connections from uh, those early days, even learning to count change and add change up, which of course we do in, in the low grades to um, major economic policy that they study as seniors. They need to be able to identify the thread throughout all of those courses and, and the different curricula so that they understand they come out with some really good skills in financial literacy and understanding um, our system, the free market system of economics, because it's, it's, it's what we live in. It's mm -hmm. the most successful system in the world. 
it can obviously be its own field. A person can go into it and get a PhD in economics and just study that. Every high school student doesn't need that much, but every high school student needs enough that they do understand um, how interest compounds, how to calculate interest, um, what it means to go to the bank and take out a loan or how credit cards work, um, how the bartering system works versus a cash economy. Uh, that those are things that, that we teach. Much more difficult for students to internalize those things because yes. many times they don't have practical experience. Mm -hmm. So we also need to make sure that, that parents are helping us do their part. Mm -hmm. uh, simple things like students opening a bank account while they're in high school and seeing um, how their own money grows, how money comes in and out of that bank account. Uh, those things are all very important. So even though we're, we're number four in the country in financial literacy, we don't consider ourselves to have achieved everything. We're always looking for ways to improve um, and make sure that we have many, many more opportunities for students to become financially literate. Switching gears, what tool would you say has contributed to your success? I will go back to something I said earlier, and it, and it is really about relationships. So, um, I mean, I've, I know a lot of people. Um, I'm always listening to people. I think it's more important to listen and ask good questions than it is to tell. Mm -hmm. And I, even, even today uh, in this position, when I meet with folks from local communities, uh, with a, again, those would be local elected officials, superintendents, teachers, I will ask a lot more questions than I will tell because mm -hmm. I want to know what people are thinking. And, and when I interact with groups, uh, large groups, I like if there's possible, it's not always possible, but when it's possible, I like to let them ask me questions because again, that helps me understand where they're coming from, what they're thinking about. Um, it's impossible to do this job without maintaining a lot of relationships. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably been um, the, the most important thing for me, that a lot of factors play into success. Um, but the most important, I think, is being able to build relationships with people. And, and I would say, you know, I'd give anybody who wanted to aspire to a job like this the advice uh, throughout life to be continually building relationships. And when, when there are, and there will occasionally be misunderstandings, miscommunications, people get their feelings hurt, whether that's intentional or not, you have to continually go back and try to correct those, to, to always be building bridges and never burning bridges. That's one of the things Lesson. I tell my children, yeah. always be building bridges, never burning bridges. Lastly, if you could give an advice to a teenager, college version of yourself, what would you tell him? Well, I, first of all, I would tell them that, that becoming a teacher is a great career. Um, you, you impact and change the lives of young people. Um, I, I would you know, there are very few teenagers who probably aspire to be the state superintendent of education. I did not aspire to this job when I was a teenager. Um, it's something that just kind of progressed during life. But there are a lot of teens who may want a job like this. They, they know they want to lead a, a, a state or federal agency. Uh, they know they want to be, um, you know, a state elected official, something like that. And so what I would say to them is, uh, you keep that goal in mind, but you got to set some intermediate goals along the way. Like what, what's the thing you want to do uh, right out of high school? If you, you want to go to college or is your, you know, what you're going to do, maybe more um, in line with going to a community college or for your college, but what, what are the things you need to do right now so that you can achieve that goal? 
The other thing I would say is when that goal, if that goal kind of weebles and wobbles or it gets out of focus, don't be afraid to change your goal. So I had earlier in my career, again, before I thought I might ever be state superintendent, but I wanted to be a school principal. I set my mind on a particular school where I wanted to be the principal. I mean, when the job and that job came open and I applied, that didn't work out, but I got offered another job um, and it ended up being a great, a great fortuitous opportunity for me. It was a much better opportunity in the long run, but short-sighted, I, I, you know, I thought I knew where I wanted to be, but it turned out this other job was better for my, for me actually. So I would say, you know, just because you don't get the thing you think you want, it doesn't mean that you're really off, off track to reach your ultimate goal because mm-hmm. sometimes those intermediate steps do have to change along the way. Um, but I would, I would, my, I'm going to say this and I'll quit with that. My real advice to a teenager wanting to start out and, and you know, to aspire to a job like this is work really hard and constantly be building relationships. Thank you so much for joining us on See You Uncovered and learning about Rebel. Thanks for listening to See You Uncovered. You can check out more at www.createeveryopportunity.org. Thanks again.